0: This episode of the podcast is brought to you by my company, Horns of Odin. Now, Horns of Odin is a family-run business, and we sell Norse-inspired products. Particularly, we specialise in handmade, handcrafted drinking horns, which I make myself. But alongside that, we have a huge clothing collection. We sell a bunch of different meads. We've got beers and ales. We've got handmade jewellery, books, artwork. So if you like the sound of any of that, pop over to the website. It's www.hornsofodin.com. If you if you like anything, pop it in the cart. Use the code HORNS10 at checkout, and you're going to get 10% off your entire order. Now, that's HORNS10. It's going to get you 10% off your entire order. It's just a little thank you from us for listening to the podcast. The podcast is also brought to you by our website, com. Some of you have already seen. We've got a bunch of different merch on there. We've got some T-shirt designs. Now, we've just added a brand-new limited edition T-shirt. So there's only going to be 100 of these printed, After that, we're never going to print them again, so just pick one up whilst you can. So the design has been done by last week's guest, Jakub, aka Raven from the North, who was on last week's episode. It's a one-off design, just pop over to the website, have a look, it's Odin and his two Ravens, it's a really beautiful t-shirt, I'm definitely going to get one, I think we've sold probably about 25% of them already, so just pop over to NordyMythologyPodcast.com and have a look and see what you think. Right, let's jump into the show. (music) Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farrin, co-owner of the Company of Horns of Odin, and I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Matthias Nordvig. Hello.
1: This time we're joined by Ruben Terluf. Um, oh, you from say that so much low. better than I would. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying it right. I see <laughs> Ruben is, uh, is laughing a little bit, so I'm probably not. <laughs> 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 um, but Ruben, you're uh, one of the warriors in the band Heilong. You're also a an archaeologist and uh, a pretty decent photographer, if you ask me, and you sort of like a multi talent. So, uh, uh, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, and thank you for having me. Uh, both, yeah. It, it's been inter- interesting following you. I think I met you uh, a year ago now, Matthias. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think I, I declined a few times.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you have a particularly interesting role in in Heilung, i think or at least your kind of group Do you want to tell us a little bit about that
2: yeah well yeah 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 so for the people who don't know i am uh, one of the the, the Hari warriors um so we have a little uh little band that is part of the bigger band that is Heilung and uh, we we do a bit uh, our own thing there um, uh, particularly Alpha de Tier you can uh, you can hear us uh, so we are all uh, painted black with our black shields and spears and uh, um, yeah we do a bit of our own thing in Heilung and uh, I'm, I'm a little part of that I have been uh, since the, the very beginning as well so
0: awesome. yeah. do you have to Stick to a script as, as such, or do you get free rein to uh, to do what you want?
2: I think Highland would be more, even more chaotic than it already is if we had free reign But, uh, <laughs> but we we do we do have a yeah, obviously a bit of a of a script uh, or a choreography if you want to call it that. Um, but um, yeah, as I said, the the, the warriors uh, uh, we have a bit of our own. Our own little thing in Heilung, uh, so we are not uh, we are not on stage constantly, for example, but we come in at certain songs and uh, we we do our thing and uh, uh, there's a bit of choreography in there uh, in certain songs and it all developed to the show that it is now and what you can see on the internet, uh, say our our Lifa show, for example. That is quite famous on youtube we have developed so much since that show and that was actually our very first show ever so uh yeah things are developing and uh, the warriors are definitely uh, a little part of that Mm. but it's a very integral role too right it's a you have
1: um, like what 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 you're doing is is part of carrying the this the, the, the live show as well right
2: yeah, yeah, I guess you could you could say it like that. We we definitely are a bit of a connecting factor between Heilung as a as a band or a group of musicians and the audience because we I, I like to think of Heilung as a bit not really a band but more of a yeah a, really a show, a multimedia experience. And uh, uh, we we may as warriors make the bridge between the audience and uh, and the band. Also because we We go into the audience and then do a bit of uh, of, uh, dancing and brawling in the the last song, uh, (laughs) Hambra (laughs) Hippia. Yeah, so then you can actually touch us. Uh, So now you can hear, you can feel Heilung and you can uh, uh, see Heilung. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: To can mosh with Heilung. (laughs) Yeah, you can mosh with Heilung. You can do whatever the fuck you want with Heilung. (laughs) As long as as you do not climb the stage. But uh, yeah, it's really. quite different from any other band I, I think or from most bands i should say
0: yeah definitely it adds i guess that extra dimension to to the experience somebody because it i mean we've all been probably at rock concerts where maybe the lead singer jumps and does like a little bit of a stage dive or whatever but actually having one of the members off the stage come into the crowd definitely adds another layer and it just makes everyone that a little bit more hyped i guess as well
2: yeah yeah definitely uh yeah i think it it makes a nice connection to the to the historical part that i guess we will talk about later but uh yeah what we try to do in hamra hip here is create this this circle and obviously many people recognize that from the the circle pit you indeed see in in many of the yeah metal festivals and stuff like that uh uh but it's really cool uh, to 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 see the whole audience uh uh move along with the song mm-hmm. instead of just only beating the shit out of each other. We actually try to to do a bit of historical stuff in there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Give it a bit of reason.
2: Yeah, yeah, right, exactly.
0: How many, how many of there is how many of them is there?
2: So that is actually a funny question because uh we obviously we want to have nine warriors on stage. Uh and that's what we 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 try to aim, but um we we don't always manage to have nine. So what we do here um, is we invite people over to send in a, a song, some or a, a recording of themselves. sometimes we've done that in the past, and uh, then we uh yeah, we have a selection, and some local people can then join us on stage.:
0: uh, Well, that's awesome. So almost like is it like a competition or are you picking people who can sing? Am I out? I have no chance.
2: No, no, no. Like, um, well, I, 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 <laughs> it's not really a competition, though. No, but uh, um, yeah, we do select people on their voice and their appearance, and whether we think whether or not they have the the yeah you know, the so called warrior spirit in them. Uh, yeah,
0: I think that's quite a cool cool thing. I mean, obviously, it's whether you can get. I, I mean, I assume you could fill nine spots fairly easy. Um but i think it's quite nice that you get local people if you can it adds i guess again that probably adds something to the experience
2: oh yeah absolutely and and in uh, in the united states we even had uh uh real uh first nation people on and they we 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 uh yeah we talked to them about what what they would like to see and because we we are in in a sense obviously uh uh yeah on on their ground, and they have a, a very local history there, uh, and we would like to connect to that. I mean, uh, uh, it, it was it was fascinating talking to them uh, and and hearing their their stories and um, yeah when they shared their their part of, of historical dance and everything.
0: Did you did you find many crossovers or similarities? Because I imagine it seems like there would be some.
2: Oh yeah, and uh yeah, definitely. I mean uh uh from many uh First Nation or Native American, whatever you want to say, uh tribes, it is known that they have uh they have the same history in, in shape shifting and and circular dance and uh stuff like that. Uh and yeah, I mean there's a ton of similarities that you could uh argue about uh or theorize about, um, but in my eyes, when I asked them about their circular dance or their their wolf dance, so to speak, uh, they had so many stories that, that rang bells going back in our own uh, European history. And not only European, I mean, there's plenty of links all over the world uh, with stuff like that. Yeah, we are definitely dealing with a sort of a, uh,
1: a, a complex of thought or worldview that's very ancient. Um, that's, that's that's shared um, has been shared by people so, uh, across uh, the planet in in different ways and forms. Um, obviously, of course, always you know taking uh, taking on a local um, uh, uh, shape where, wherever you know, you know we find it. One of the interesting things is also the um, the early Germanic culture uh, seems to be um very tied to a circumpolar uh um, complex of thought or a worldview if you will um yeah, yeah. where we see you know this what is like broadly called shamanic practices um being uh being used that's uh that's that's very obvious from the uh from the old norse material in particular
2: yeah and i i, I think uh um if 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 the if we we would still live in the way that the let's say the First Nation people live in uh, in America right now, um, we would also think uh, that way. Because now 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 we uh, uh, we uh, have to look back as as modern people uh, and and guess w- what are the ties between this tribe and this tribe uh, or this tribe in this country there and this country. Uh, you get the, the idea. Um, but this this um, uh this way of thinking is i think arguably very similar to what we uh or how we lived uh at, at the time but obviously that is all lost uh and yeah you have to be careful uh making all these links with uh with, with say the native american people obviously but i think it's pretty fair to say that there must have been many similarities most of which are lost now of course mm. yeah
0: all I, all i can think of is the the late or the last episode of vikings where i don't know if you if you if you've watched a year where uber goes to to north america and kind of meets some native tribes and i can't help but think about that so many people will probably take that to be gospel now and kind of have and any links that are there almost just think of them as being being true and that i, I sometimes think that can be the bad so are the downside to some of the uh, the mob, you know the modern popular culture uh, TV shows
2: yeah definitely I mean there's plenty of people who say oh they do that right over here as well uh, and then, then I'm like yeah I, I get that sure but uh, you have to be a bit careful making these uh yeah these assumptions uh, but there must be or must maybe is a big word, but uh there has to be some some kind of uh yeah basis in there, obviously.
0: So the the um all right, sorry,
2: sorry, sorry.
1: They send UP to America.
0: Have you not watched it?
1: I have not watched it and I'm now I'm not going to. <laughs> okay.
0: So, so spoilers, anybody like it might be too late, but spoilers for anybody that hasn't watched it, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Uber goes to Iceland, then decides he wants to go to Greenland. They're on Greenland for maybe maybe a week. Shit hits a the fan; they fall out, and then they go. Then they land in like Newfoundland area. I, I assume they don't really make it clear. Um, there's about eight of them left, and then they meet a Native American tribe. They have a a nice relationship. Um, and then they find Floki in a tree, obviously. Of course, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't know how Floki got there on his own, all the way from Iceland, right? Um, I have no idea, <laughs> you know, but there's gonna be so many people hating on me now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're giving everybody the spoilers here, but okay, so that's that's interesting, uh, to hear. Um, I mean, obviously, because you know the, the the figures that are involved with the uh, original story in in the sagas right that, that those those are very well known individuals sort of like culturally in scandinavia and also here in north america so like you know eric the red he's the guy who goes to greenland you know they, well, that's
0: yeah. <laughs> that's what seems that's what seems a little bit odd because obviously everybody knows that netflix are doing a spin off Mm-hmm. are called, you know, Vikings Valhalla. And the characters in that are Eric. Like, I think Eric the Red is in there. Leif Erikson is a character in there. So I found it a little bit odd that they squeezed this storyline in for Uber when, when they're making a show kind of with those original characters in there that they could have done this within their own right and made a little bit more of a thing rather than it being rushed and him kind of island hopping almost.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, no, that is that is a little weird. Well, I mean, you know, you never know. Maybe one day we can have one of the writers from that show <laughs> come on.
0: Well, when we hit 100 patrons, we'll be able to watch the whole series and find out our thoughts, won't we?
1: That's right. So, Ruben, I, I wanted to, to ask you, now that we're digging into historical sources and all that stuff, what, what sort of the historical underpinning for, for the warriors in, in Hailong? um and and like how you're like painted black and all that stuff.
2: Yeah, so that that is uh uh that is part of the, the, the Hari uh aesthetic so the Hari where this uh uh tribe described by uh the Roman writer Tacitus in the, the first century and this is an account that that he did not witness himself obviously that is uh I guess commonly known that he wasn't there in person but he he got these accounts from returning soldiers so I guess the way that it is written down is fairly uh fairly accurate but anyway what what is described is that um the soldiers event, the roman soldiers eventually uh, were attacked or saw uh, a war band that they called the hari and they these were uh these warriors were uh, painted black and they attacked at night and they were Equipped with uh, both uh, black shields and and spears. and I think uh, I, I cannot quote it one on one, but uh, it was said that the the white of the eyes was the first thing that you would encounter when you would encounter these uh, these Hari warriors. So it has been debated that these warriors uh, uh, formed a war band and that the Hari is uh, is the name for the war band but um we 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 are not sure about that or how accurate that is, but it is pretty um widely accepted that they were that they were part of the Lugi tribe uh that is uh from uh south central poland uh nowadays and uh they are uh closely linked to the vandals, which is a more uh, well known tribe i guess from the yeah same area and there's obviously some uh some debate on where these tribes were located exactly. Uh, and since there's hardly any archeological evidence or any at all uh, for the Hari, uh, we have to rely on these uh, accounts by uh, Tacitus.
1: Yeah, but I mean, etymologically, it uh, it seems very likely that the word Hari is a Germanic word for warrior, basically. In, a, in So, uh, Hariya.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh and, and also the uh the word har uh mm. relates to the word here uh as in warband uh you know, the whole uh whole thing. But um and in the early 20th century you had uh Otto Hoffler, for example, a German writer, and uh, Lily Wieser who uh, wrote about um or Weiser I should say, I'm not sure, wrote about uh, the Mannerbunde as, as being a, a little uh, war band of of uh, warrior men, um, but there is no no real evidence for uh, a concept like uh, the Männerbunde uh, really. And archaeologically speaking, uh, it is very hard to to uh, yeah to, to make anything of it. So yeah. we really have to to uh, yeah to base our assumptions on the accounts that have been written
1: down. Yeah, that's that's true. It is interesting though that with some of the earliest runic inscriptions, we actually see from the Danish area. We have uh, uh, the 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 Vimos comb, which is the f- first official rune Yeah, yeah, with the
2: Harja on it.
1: Yeah, it says Harja. There's also a couple of others uh, that are interesting. Like one is Svarta, so that means black. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, uh, you could always sort of like theorize based off of like very little evidence, but it's just interesting to see how it aligns in some ways.
2: <laughs> uh, it's funny because uh, the. Uh, especially now with Heilung and what we do, uh, this this concept of the Hari has been on this looking glass, and on the internet you read the wildest theories of <laughs> how they looked and acted and things uh, things like that. But really, there is only one one mention by by Tacitus, and you can with a, with a lot of. Uh, uh, Theorizing, you can maybe link a few other things to there, but really, there is not very much that we know about Ahari.
0: Mm. I mean, it would make sense that somebody at some point would would do that because it kind of just makes obvious. You know, it's, it's obvious camouflage if it's if it's nighttime and you want to sneak up and kill somebody. It makes sense to paint yourself black I, as well. Just assuming that you know, they didn't have much light pollution back then. So things would naturally have been a hell of a lot darker than they are for us now as well. So nighttime would have been pretty. Really fucking dark. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it makes sense that somebody would have, would have done that. It's not kind of like out of the realms of possibility. And it's also fucking terrifying. Like imagine.
2: I mean, it is. Yeah. And these, uh, these tactics, tactics are still used today. It's funny because I'm actually in the process of uh, applying into the army, and I have a, f- a lot of friends that are in in the army. And we were talking about uh, the yeah the modern day uh, tactics versus the tactics used in uh, uh, pre-Christian times. And there's definitely some stuff that survives. Even even the 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 weapon dances uh, survive to this day in the sense that they're there's still like the, the saber rattling and in the, the United States army, they still, and many other armies, I should say, they still do the, the dances with, the, with the, uh, the, the weapons as well, the, the firearms. Um, so, I
0: mean, yeah, it may, it completely makes sense. That it lasts today as well. Cause if you had the Navy SEALs or the SAS going to do a night mission, you know, they're not going in hot pink, outfits are they it's in it, you know naturally they're gonna wear all black because it makes perfect sense
2: yeah yeah uh, so although you... hot pink would really be cool though right? i would, I that, would be, I prefer, that. that would be
0: equally as terrifying i think <laughs> if like this squadron of death just came after you in hot pink <laughs> it would be almost as bad i think it would be really
2: intimidating especially uh, if the, the hot pink army wins
1: <laughs> yeah, yes, for sure. yes yeah no I, I i'm starting to see a concept here that i would very much like yeah, yeah. to see in the future
0: <laughs> so I, I guess the only thing that I, i'm curious about is how quote-unquote like honorable or manly is it to attack at night dressed in all black because it seems like it's this idea of you fight face to face is the honorable thing to do to go into battle head-on whereas sneaking in at night and sort of executing someone is that is that seen negatively i i
2: i get i get the idea i get where you're going but i you have to take into account that um uh we we don't really know a lot about uh war tactics especially not from uh from the germanic side of warfare uh, so to speak uh, and they were fighting uh, a huge structure, structured army, uh, uh, well the Romans uh, that were continuously uh, advancing into their territory so I mean uh, the Roman army versus a little uh, local tribe is, is not very manly <laughs> in itself I guess no, if no. you're talking about uh, how fair is warfare
0: <laughs> uh, Well that, that's it. I think the, the best tactic is the one where you don't die I don't yeah. think it, I don't think there is a fair tactic in war but people do kind of put that behind a the door they how it's it's cowardly to hide. But I would say I would, so one thing
1: I would say regarding that is that that's sort of the the modern uh, uh popularized and idealized version of sort of like a um, a viking warrior that like I I face you for a lot of love and all that stuff. Um and- it's just
0: just before yeah. you, you go too far, I, I was gonna. Sorry, uh, yeah. no, no, no. It's, it's just. <laughs> no, no, what it is is I. What you're gonna say, you're probably gonna have to answer my next question with that anyway. So it would make more sense. So I was listening to um, Viking Britain by Thomas Williams, and he was saying how the Anglo Saxons tended to want to have this fight face to face, and then when the Vikings came, it, they they tended to not necessarily hide in the shadows, but were more willing to use. Kind of tactics of being in the woodlands or staying out of sight and not necessarily being one-on-one face-to-face, like like two armies lining up and just clashing against each other. Um, and is that, how accurate is that? Uh,
2: I'm not. I'm not an expert on this because this is really a whole a different field of uh, of of, of uh, studying. But um, what I can say is that what you see in uh, in in many movies, for example, or or TV series, I should say, maybe. Is that uh, there's this this general idea that Vikings were uh, had no structure in their their army or raiding party at all and were just going into the fray like uh, like there's no tomorrow. But that is not really true because we actually we actually do know that there were some some taxi, tactics that were used in the field, uh, some formations that were used. And I'm not only talking about the shield wall that is uh, that obviously comes to mind, but there were actually uh, taxi, tactics, that were both done uh, on foot as well as uh, uh, on horse, because yeah. when you go back uh, in the pre-Viking uh, times, uh, let's say the, the Vendel era, uh, a lot of warfare was done uh, by by horse, uh, horseback,
1: mm-hmm.
2: or on horseback, and uh, uh, there were definitely some some tactics uh, used uh, in that uh, fashion of warfare. So it wasn't only one on one and. Uh, uh, unstructured fighting. Yeah, so that's no and that's a really good point. Um
1: so we can see a couple of things. I'm of course not an expert on, on sort of like the historical components of war in in that regard and, and tactics and all that stuff. But um what we know from Defiance of Warriors in Ilrop Ode in Denmark is and did they are like what uh third third century. Yeah third century AD yeah. Yeah um uh warriors uh germanic warriors they most of them don't have any armor they have um uh, they have spears and shields uh and their infantry and then you have uh, a few elite um who have um uh, horses and and they are you know they have like really cool stuff like uh beautifully adorned um um uh, rains and all that stuff yeah and and then um it so so there's a couple of things you have to consider right these these people must have had um some kind of like, this is me riffing on sort of like basic logics i think uh they must have had some kind of uh formation uh some some kind of tactic that they would have used um, because otherwise they would have been completely destroyed if they were uh, up against a, a, a yeah. full, full armored Roman army, right? Um, you, you wouldn't be able to uh, uh, take down uh, the Roman shield wall right <laughs> if no, you no. do employ uh, really uh, skillful tactics and this is what we uh, assume i guess uh, happened at Teutoburgwald uh, in the the year 9 when uh, mm-hmm. um, when when varus was uh, was obliterated right yeah yeah exactly so uh, what do we know from later sources we know that uh, there is the so called svinfilking which is some
2: kind of uh, formation. We don't know exactly. Yeah, the, the boar snout uh, uh, idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, how do I summarize this? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, I have to summarize warfare. How funny! Uh, uh, yeah. So this formation has a has a little uh, uh, wedge, so to speak, uh, in the front, and uh, that w- that would mean that uh, the opposing party would have to attack that little wedge first and then the second second wave comes this is all in one formation obviously so second wave is not very accurate here but uh the the opposing party moves to to uh, attack the yeah the the boar snout uh and then the, the second wave com, comes rumbling in and uh this really creates two uh parties within the uh, the opposing party which is easier for the attacking party which from this point of view uh, speaking would be the yeah the the Vikings uh, mm-hmm. or, or anyone uh, using it around. You would basically be able to
1: split up their rank.
2: Yeah, you do split up their, split their up. rank if successful, yeah. and there, there is uh there is more to this because if you if you're talking about uh, mounted warfare on horseback, uh, there would be a whole um, a different tactic to this, and maybe you you, you will use both. There's not a lot of. Uh, uh, evidence for both but we know that there were both and this changes the whole thing obviously
0: mm-hmm.
2: and you mentioned the Varus uh, this is a very unique uh, battle of course 9AD um, where you can you can speak of a of a, of a tactic but I, I'm not sure how how pre um, how do you say that um well let me put it this way i'm i'm not sure if if they uh, invented this specific tactic for that specific battle i know that there was a few other battles that had similar uh success and similar uh, structure to it but that might have been after the uh the uh battle i'm not sure but obviously you have to use your terrain if you're attacking a uh, uh this big uh, slow-moving army that is the Romans because it is known and they did know that the Romans um, moved very slowly and they took that to, to their advantage and uh, I praise them for that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that's by the way um, uh, I think it was jugurta in uh, in uh, in northern Africa who used guerrilla warfare tactics on the Romans and their formation and basically also managed to uh, to, to beat them in in that way, so so that's been sort of like the way to beat the Romans. <laughs> oh
2: yeah, yeah, attack them from uh, from above and from the side. Uh, yeah, but there have been multiple battles in in Germany uh, uh, that had the same uh, yeah uh, preset, so to speak.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, true. And
2: then Varus, uh, the, the Teutoburger Wald battle is obviously very famous for that. Uh, and we and we, are, we are still um finding out new evidence uh, about this battle so in in 10 years we might know a lot more because it was only until pretty recently that we knew the, the exact site of the battle which is uh, Calgreese which is far more north than was originally uh, thought yeah yeah that's true yeah. that's really exciting though it is yeah 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 yeah
0: i know nothing about the battle so can you give like a quick Summary of, of it, what happened, who won, who lost.
2: Okay, uh, you and me, uh, Matthias, because I know that you hated the Barbarian series, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you read my blog post on that, I really like that series, but we can talk about that after this. So, yes. uh, Daniel, uh, yeah, um, uh, Varus was an uh, auxiliary uh, soldier. Not really a soldier. I'm. I'm not sure of his exact rank. Sorry, but um, he was a a, a Germanic uh, uh, person uh, in the Roman army, and eventually he he turned against Rome, knowing their their tactics, and uh, in a in a pre uh setting, um, the Germanic tribes, uh, yeah, so to speak, uh, formed one army. You cannot really call it an army, but anyway, Uh, and uh, defeated the Roman army in a three-day battle and killed over, I think, three legions equals about 25 or 30,000 Roman soldiers. Uh, And it was a really messy battle because both the the Romans didn't know what was happening. Obviously, there was a lot of... uh, Uh, yeah surprise (laughs) (laughs) and uh, uh, it also rained like shit these three days and uh, yeah the germanic tribes obviously used that to their uh, example eventually varus uh, killed himself uh, and um, there's the famous saying varus give me back my legions which uh, still echoes in rome they say yeah, yeah, there was Seesaw <laughs> falling falling to his knees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also used in a Heilung uh, song by the way. Uh uh so yeah. And uh, yeah, there they, um you have this new uh, Netflix series uh, Barbar, and and uh, Matthias is a big fan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't watched it yet. I need to. I think I need to watch it. I mean
1: you... I think my main grievance is is this typical. Uh, well, they call it barbarian so barbarians, and I think that's that's the that's my main uh, main problem with it that that they have made these people more barbarian than they
2: actually were. <laughs> yeah, even using the, ba- the 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 name barbarian is al- already a bit uh, funny, maybe. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's very, very questionable. If you ask me, uh, yeah, <laughs> very. <laughs> and uh, but I, I, I guess it sells uh, and it speaks to the imagination, maybe. But from talking about that, and the reason why I like the series uh, is because they actually dressed uh, the barbarian, the Germanic tribes, pretty accurately for modern day TV standards. I mean, I could bitch about the little details, but. I mean, Vikings has a lot more that I could bitch about. (laughs) Uh, They have armor that looks
1: like, you know, lawn lawn chairs and stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
2: uh, I mean, I I saw the the people wearing the Suebian knot, uh, which is a hair hair tie. That's a nice detail. Yeah, and I saw the women wearing uh, what's called a sprang, uh, also a way to tie the hair. The the tunics that they were uh, wearing were, I, well, I guess, they were okay, and they 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 properly used uh, the capes uh, or the pracht mantles I should say. Mm. And uh, the weaponry was actually pretty accurate. They they did replicate some uh, mm. some finds that were that are pretty well known from uh, from the area. So they they did use some artistic freedom in in dressing these people, but. Uh, you can all pinpoint it to certain finds, or at least quite a bit of it, and I, I really like to see that uh, because Vikings didn't do that. And I mean, yeah, the villages that they used in the series were a bit questionable. Uh, quite I think
1: questionable,
2: if you ask me. Some of the yeah. <laughs>
1: constructions, you're like, what, what, what was this made by? Like chips? <laughs> like, yeah, <you> know? <laughs> it looked like a, like a chicken uh, chicken uh, thing. Where you yeah, coop, in, right? chicken coop. Yeah. <laughs> It's like so the chieftain's hall is a giant chicken poop. It's like, <laughs> come on, guys.
0: <laughs> exactly. So you want to speak about Odin's warrior cult, which would be the the berserker and the ulfedin. Um yeah. Do, yeah. Do, I guess, before you get we get into it, is there any link between like the Hari and and those? Can we kind of like
2: uh, i'm just i'm just well, seeing
0: if we can make like a segue through through that into yeah. into Zirka. uh
2: it's complicated i guess uh <laughs> but uh <laughs> uh yes and no so uh, i talked about this idea of the mannerbunde uh and uh yeah there's still debate on if this term mannerbunde which means uh yeah band of men uh very roughly translated sorry uh is uh is really accurate or not um but um when you talk about uh the warrior cult of of odin and even i have to get back on that later um you're talking about little groups of of trained young warriors uh that that could form a band that the hari that i talked about earlier uh, uh supposedly formed but um there's a lot of debate and uh speaking as an archaeologist who has by the way not written about this uh, so i'm not like this super expert but i have studied this quite a bit uh, there is very little ev- evidence to support the idea of or the concept of the the and the, and the the hoofhednar or Uf-Hedin. Uh and matthias uh, knows uh, a lot about them i guess uh, from the written sources but this is all um uh, years, maybe even hundreds of years after, uh, uh, you would have seen these these warrior bands, the the Hednar or the the, the berserkir.
1: Yeah, I mean we have we have one depiction right from a from a a, a helmet in Sweden from the six hundreds that that suggests some 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 person wearing a a wolf or or bear
2: skin or uh, no we actually have quite a lot but they uh so they all stem from indeed the sixth and seventh century we have the uh the one from torslunda that you're referring to with the dancer next to it but we also have one for or four actually two separate finds uh one from obrigheim um germany and uh from, from gutenstein uh which is on a scabbard and this scabbard is by the way uh pro, pro, uh quite possibly a refitted uh from a helmet so it was supposed to be on a helmet like uh you would see in the in the Vendel period or oh, really? I was not aware of the the german finds hmm. yeah yeah cool. so and there's actually more because um uh we also know one from van Drayton which is in the united kingdom um uh, so, there's quite many actually. And uh, I recently came upon a find in the Netherlands, which doesn't depict a wolf warrior, but is in the same category as you would uh, see in, in Sweden and, and England. So, uh, in the near future, we are con- probably going to uh, write about this Dutch find as well, because it it's con- really connects Frisia to, let's say, Germany, Sweden, and England. But this is another topic. Uh, so yeah, are,
0: they, are they images? On the on the finds, or is it wording?
2: Oh no no no! They they are image. So we are really talking about a uh, um, uh, society that talks via pictures. I guess uh, I, I I wouldn't know how to phrase that correctly. But um, uh, these are uh, what's called pressblech images, which are uh, stamped upon a, a die, so to speak, and uh, the images are later refitted on uh, on helmets or scabbards. Mm-hmm. So they so are. Mm-hmm. Going back to sorry, uh,
1: going back to what uh, we were talking with uh, Martin Carver about with uh, with Sutton Hoo, right? What we're dealing with is in this period of time from you know it probably begins in the four hundreds at least uh, um, is a a common uh, uh, visual language that basically goes along the the, the English Channel uh, on both sides and into scandinavia and um, and uh, at least northern germany possibly also central parts of germany right and and it looks like it's a it's a uh, at least what we can see from the rulership culture it looks like it's a it's it's the same uh, or similar culture they share concepts they share ideas um, what it looks like uh, if you ask me from from sort of like the mythological perspective on all of this is that we're, we're dealing with with um with uh, uh, uh rulers who are connected in different ways by trade by marriage um yeah you know Those kinds of things. And they are establishing themselves, legitimizing their rule based off of association with the gods, right? The war god Odin, as an example, could be an example. Looks very much to be the case, right? And if we go by the written material, then it suggests that these warriors are closely associated with Odin as the standing army that this um, that this uh, ruler will have in in their uh, l- location. That's what in me- uh, medieval Scandinavia and possibly also in, in Viking age Scandinavia is known as the hird. Right. So the question is then, how much, how many of these dudes would dress up in in bear and wolf skin and then go nuts on the on the battlefield?
0: <laughs> uh, just before we get to that, do are we saying that they existed or not? Like (laughs) if we were, if we were to, to put an, a definite answer to it, would you, or or at least if you were to hedge your bets, would you say lean in the way of yes or or no?
2: Uh, I I would say yes, but.
0: Okay. Yeah. I, I, I think that's probably the right answer.
2: Right. So, uh, yeah. Where to start? Um, yeah, let's, um, so, a lot of things that we see in archaeology i'm I'm speaking for that perspective here, so maybe Matthias you can tag along from the literal uh, perspective here but or the mythological um so what we see in archaeology is that a lot of um typologies or way things are presented come from uh, the Roman period and possibly even before, and you can talk about material culture here but also about how how things were going. Um, maybe even talking about war bands, but let's stick with archaeology now. So a lot of things that we see uh, come from there and slowly move up to, to Scandinavia. And this is, even goes for the the idea of a god like Odin, um, because we don't know if um, uh, the berserker or the Ulf Hednar really were warriors of Odin, because this, uh, this deity um, really set foot in culture, I should maybe rephrase that, but um, in, in in the Viking age, but uh, in the Vendel period that Neil Price recently, famous archaeologist, obviously, uh, recently rephrased as early Viking um, in that period. So we're talking about uh, 550 to 790 here. Uh, we see a lot of this archaeological evidence about dancing figures with, with horned helmets and uh, things that look a lot like is, are later described as being berserkier and uvehdnar. So uh, this concept of berserkier and uvehdnar came came later, and we know about them because of the mythological uh, writings. But there's a lot of archaeology that could support this idea that is later written down. But we're not sure if these depictions uh, on these uh, images are in fact uvehdnar or berserkier. They could well be just um, uh elite warriors that really didn't really have a name to them but were uh distanced themselves from uh say ordinary soldiers uh um by the tactics that they use or the way that they behaved uh, uh in battle or maybe possibly before battle and after battle like is late uh, like uh, is later described in the uh, in the sagas and matthias can probably uh correct me on that but uh there's a there's this big idea of of what is an, a berserk here and what is a úlfhætnir, but we really don't know what they exactly were. That's when it all comes down mm-hmm. to. And that's you know that that's how everything about you know that time period
1: in, in <laughs> yeah Northern yeah needs to be prefaced. like we 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 have theories but uh, but we really don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, that's no the usual
0: it's a, answer, right? <laughs> but I, just I, let me tell you, I, I, just. Sorry to interrupt you again, but just to put like a little bit of structure for, in, in my own mind, I guess, did did the typical idea of an army exist? Were Did Vikings have professional armies, as in would a king have, you know, people that were sole, solely soldiers, that was their profession, mm-hmm. rather than just kind of bringing people in when needed?
1: Yeah. The Vikings had professional armies. Okay. That's, that's, yeah. uh, that's very clear. That's, that's really what defines the Viking age. I would say, uh, professional armies with, um, with Kings or, or leaders, chieftains, whatever you want to call them with ambition. So, um, I think when Neil Price calls the, this, uh, the, period, the Vendel period, the, the early Viking age or something like that, yeah. I think that's very accurate because yeah. this is, this is the time period where the culture that we see the, the sort of like the military and maritime and rulership culture that we see in the viking age that's when it's invented it's then it's that period 550 to to 690 for sure and it 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 could not it could not come into existence without the trade network that is uh, that begins in the northern uh, Frankish area in Frisia and in and in the English area. Um, this is how these uh, these Scandinavian uh, local chieftains basically managed to build up their wealth and and accumulate wealth over generations, yeah. so that they become um, you know important enough basically yeah. to have decisive influence on on Western Europe in different ways and in, in England. The so Viking age is basically I guess sort of like the fruition of like generations over centuries of ambition to actually go there and take over that shit yeah,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> but i I do have to say that um like in in archaeology we we tend to like um name different time periods uh according to their their uh the, to the finds or to the, the stylization of certain objects um so the Vendel period or let's say the period before what we generally accept as the Viking age uh did stand out in the sense that a lot of material culture was very different from what we know from the viking age so the 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 helmets and the and the weapon weaponry that i uh yeah I specialize in. Um, and that are famous are these really elaborate-looking uh, 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 helmets with all these uh, images on there that we just talked about and that I will talk about later. But um, uh, the Vendel period itself, in in the name, comes from the the place Vendel where these helmets were found. And close to Vendel is the uh, uh and uh, which had similar uh, boat burials. And of obviously the. The boat burial from Sutton Hoo that you recently talked about uh, falls into the same uh, uh, time period, and it's even possible that the helmet that is made that we know from Sutton Hoo is made in Scandinavia and that was, uh, yeah, imported via these trade networks that you just talked about. But I, mm. I as a Dutchman, I have to uh, say that. Uh, I, I always miss the the Frisians in this uh, equation. Mm-hmm. There is still a lot of, lot to prove here and there, but there are uh, similarities uh, and pieces found in Frisia that are that I think should be mentioned in the same uh, breath as the mm-hmm. southern finds and the finds from uh, uh, from Scandinavia, including uh, one that I I recently did. I did not find it, but it was in a museum. It has just been very poorly published. Uh, but there is also uh, there are also pieces from these uh, same helmets found found in Frisia. So
0: mm-hmm.
2: I'm really trying to like uh, yeah give a shout out to Frisia here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think that's really important though. That's a, a, because Frisia in this period is actually a very important uh, nodal point for yeah very. for uh, cultural uh, dissemination into Scandinavia. And and also out of Scandinavia, uh, Denmark is another uh, another sort of like dark spot on the yeah, map. Yeah. For this. And and I think, you know it's it's so interesting to hear that Vendel as as a term for this time period has sort of like become popularized because just, you know, a couple of decades ago, nobody from Denmark or Norway for instance, would ever really use that term because it's so in
2: Scandinavia associated with Sweden. Yeah, it, maybe it's because Vendel is such a little shithole. Were it not for all these uh, <laughs> yeah. very finds uh, down there, no, I'm not speaking on, on on Sweden here.
1: Uh, <laughs> no, it's 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 really interesting, and and one thing that I I want to kick in here also is the place name evidence. So, and Denmark has like a this cluster of Odin place names that that are from this time period. Where well, it's like very obviously deliberate that certain local rulers are naming even what appears to be, might might have been temple sites or structures of some kind. Yeah. yeah.
2: open. So we, we have that in the Netherlands as well, actually, but it is not very much researched. But um, uh, I could name a few, but I have to um, uh, be a bit careful about this because I do not know. How far this has been proven, but um, so for example we have the place called Woensdrecht, and we still say Woensdag, and we also say Boede for anger, which is obviously uh, Wodan. Uh, So I'm I'm using Odin Odin here in the podcast, but I would uh, usually say Wodan, uh, Mm -hmm. much like the English, by the way. But um, and we have um, um, Uden um, Mm -hmm. from Uden, Oden, Uh, Mm -hmm. we have uh, Tinarlo, which is uh, in far north, which has been said to uh, come from Tyr or, uh, but I, again, I am not sure on this, uh, but we have plenty, I I just named Mm -hmm. a few, but plenty of place names that uh, are quite certainly linked to uh, uh, pre-Christian, yeah. And
1: one interesting thing is that uh, some of those uh, uh, Danish uh, place names with Odin, you have, like, okay, so that's the famous uh, Odense, right? Odense, um, which is like the hometown of Hans Christian Andersen and all that stuff. That one means uh, Odin's uh, holy site or Odin's temple. Can I say
2: something about Odense, by the way? Uh, Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) So behind me, what you... There's a few people who can see this, but there's actually a wolf skin right there that I bought oh, yeah. in Odense from a lady. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so back to the back, back to the yeah.
1: So 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 that's that's Odense in and that's how it's, it's said in in modern Danish. Then uh, the exact same place name you can find a little farther southwest, uh, but pronounced Voyens instead, um, where we. Uh, the the local dialect it's it's something that um, that um, uh, uh, linguists are debating a little bit but the local dialect seems to have basically retained the diphthong that you also find in in Old English and, and in Dutch instead of uh, turning yeah. it into a long o so it's 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 become voyance instead of uh, <laughs> and you have these two uh, uh, types of place names in in the Danish area um, one of the things that's really interesting is also to see when we go back to sort of the trade networks that Ripa um, is probably the oldest town in Scandinavia and it's located in the southwestern part of Denmark and it was well, You know, for that that's a very recent event. That that border used to be much farther south. Oh yeah. I'm sorry, man. (laughs) No, that's okay. (laughs) No, so so the the importance of this town is that it seems to have been deliberately created to trade with uh the Frisians, and you see a lot of Frisian influence on the town, the early material culture, even the plot, the the way that the plots uh, are made. Um, for 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 the houses and everything, very much seems to come straight from Frisia, which tells a little bit about like the influence on on at least southern Scandinavia, and I would say that this precipitates farther into Scandinavia. Um, there's good uh, good reason to assume that the story of this the Verlunder, the smith um, that we know from Eddic poetry, is originally that comes from Frisia into Scandinavia.
0: I'm just going to uh, pull it back to Berserkers because I've got so many questions I want to ask. About okay,
1: yeah. Uh, so, yeah sorry. <laughs> before we get too far
0: off topic, I have a lot that I want to ask. Yeah. <laughs> so firstly, um, what is the possibility that they are just a group of mercenaries that are kind of for hire and um, wander around as a, as a, you know, as a well-trained unit that kind of are out for, out for themselves wanting gold, I guess. And, and, go to the highest bidder and it's kind of gone down in legend as...
2: as um, being more oh man, there's so much to this, but let me... let me. So many people know, I, I think I, I don't have to talk about this a lot, but uh, let's start at the word berserker. It uh, can either mean uh, bare shirt, a circ is, is shirt, or uh, um, uh, being naked, bare chested, uh, maybe. There's uh mm-hmm. I, I sadly cannot quote this, but there is still a Frisian word that looks a lot like berserker. And it's it just slipped my mind. I'm sorry, but uh um um were there mercenaries? Uh no. Uh I would say no, but uh they are definitely a, a war band that moves uh, separately, or that let, let's put it like this: that that moves in the fringes of society at least that is what the, the writing tells us that they are a, a bit like a modern day um, biker gang so you would maybe stay away from them as a as a normal person as a non-soldier maybe i would like to interject that this is very much like the
1: saga literature and especially yeah, yeah. The, the later saga literature that i was just looking up i think it's gun uh, a serpent tongue saga um that that sort of like uses berserkers as just like it's sort of like oh that's an uh, evil sort of uh, uh dishonorable um warrior who uses magic um yeah, yeah. you know to trick people so, so would, yeah
0: would they belong to a particular village or town but kind of live on the outskirts is that is that the idea that it would the one or one king would have a group of these these people kind of at hand in case
2: uh yeah um but i wouldn't say they 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 live separately no but um uh this also comes from the sagas but it is said that that berserkers might roam roam the the, con- the the country or the the lands uh uh individually and then move from town to town to challenge people in what is called uh, the homeganger or uh um yeah just generally to into a fight and may may join a battle here and there um, but this goes a, a bit more into uh uh yeah the the the, the, the writing and not so much archaeology obviously but um uh yeah the later liter- literature definitely uh um makes you think that they they moved uh, separately uh or along with the ufhadnar i should say but separately from the the army. So there's uh one saga. I'm sorry I, I mix up a lot because they appear in some 30-ish sagas, I think. Uh that they moved in front of the army. Uh so they were the first to go into battle because they could not be hurt by iron nor fire, uh writes. Uh, Other sagas I think mentioned uh that they that they just um fight Individually, in uh, in uh, yeah, the, in all the rage, uh, and they also kill uh, friendly uh, soldiers. Uh, but mm-hmm. they really move on, on on their own, or and they may. I mean, so in many of the sagas, they are
1: they're even more like um, what that that typical wild west villain who who terrorizes a local community, and then the sheriff has to has to come and and uh, and. and kill him in a in a gun duel <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah,
1: exactly.
0: it kind of sounds like that friend that you have that is a little bit wild but you're glad that he's your friend and <laughs> yeah he's not going against you kind of thing
2: the guy that doesn't know his strength uh, but what i what i really like um uh, is how how archaeology uh is is almost on the other spectrum of this uh, this image that the the writings led to believe because if Let's say that uh, indeed the uh, and this is not my personal opinion, but uh, let's say that the, the, the images from the the Vendel era depict berserkers. I uh, will come back to that later, but um, uh, they show a very structured way of how these people are are, are trained. Uh, at least when you follow the images, so mm. um, uh, uh, the images uh, show a young boy who is taken out of society um at a young age say 7ish like in sparta or in, i think beowulf also says around that age uh and then he's being trained until say what we now call puberty uh on how to fight and how uh, how to um uh uh how to deal with women <laughs> how to uh <laughs> how to how to hunt and all that kind of stuff that's uh, very uh uh, very much part of be, becoming a man—it's like an initiation ritual, which is in itself very structured, obviously, because you're trained by the by the the the, the surviving elite warriors, the elder uh, of the of the tribe. So this is all very structured, and then at one point—and this is what uh, the, these images show—you become this warrior with the uh, the horned helmet and uh, and the spear, and you you know. You have your whole ritual dancing and stuff like that going on. Um, And then you have the the writings who show the opposite of that. uh, Berserkers going all uh, wild and uh, not taking into account anything that I just described. It's just, yeah, really fighting on their own. So this is a very uh, contrasting image. But I have to say what I said when I started this little ramble is that this is when you think of the images uh, depicting a Berserker, which we are not sure about. Um, it, it, it is very well possible, and I actually tend to be in this camp, that they do not show Berserker, but this is what we later assumed were a Berserker. Uh, which is a matter. That's a
1: that's a sort of like a nomenclature issue. Like like the, the, is, would those people who made those images have called that a berserkir? Yeah. Or or Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, we don't. We have no idea what they would have called them, of course, because they they left very little written material. Mostly, you know, short inscriptions in 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 runes. Um, but if we look at it it's sort of like from the phenomenological perspective, right? So this as a phenomenon that has that that uh, that has different types of expressions in in different uh, human cultures. It seems to be very very standard, right? That uh, that these uh, uh, early cultures, whether we're in Europe or in Asia, Africa, uh, Australia, North or South America, um, you have you you train warriors in this way. Like in in these types of warrior societies, right? Uh, so it's it seems it seems very likely. Um, I want to uh, also throw in uh, what uh, Jens Peter Schutt, the Danish historian of religion, uh, has written about um, about this in terms of. Of uh, initiation rituals, he he basically tells us that well, the Völundar saga and the story about uh, uh, Sigurd and uh, the dragon slayer and all that stuff—that's one one long story about initiation into warriorhood, and and uh, and, and you have the, the situation where you're isolated from society um, as as a young man boy. And then uh, this is where you're living as wolves, by the way. <laughs> and then and then there's a reintegration into society. That's the typical sort of uh, uh, structure for 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 initiation rituals. Yeah,
2: and, and this is very. I'm sorry uh, to interrupt, but this is very much what the, the images of uh, Torslunda from the seventh century uh, Sweden uh, describe. Also, images on the the Vendel uh, one helmet, uh, which is my favorite uh, uh, grave that i'm reconstructing in, in the living history stuff but uh, they show a lot of images of young people or what i assume are young people in their initiation phase uh uh sh- fighting uh the two uh two bears or wolves uh, this is a famous image that is also seen on the, the purse that is found in uh uh mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. probably talked about uh, sh- and also the the image that is uh, from the Netherlands that I talked about earlier shows a little little man in between two beasts or wolves Uh, this changes from location to location but it's very much uh, a a phase of initiation we also see this uh, uh, being described by the Maasai people in Africa I do not want to say a one-on-one link is found here but um, it looks like these initiation rituals have a uh, uh, yeah an, an undertone, so to speak, uh, all over the world, uh, which is also, by the way, um, written by Chris Kershaw, who wrote extensively about this, that the Indo-European uh, cultures had a similar way of initiation, and this eventually spread out to what is now uh, Western Europe and Scandinavia. But the, the idea of young, Young boys being taken out of the tribe from their mothers and uh, being trained to be full-fledged warriors is a very universal uh, thing that we still find in archaeology from the time that we are talking about now.
0: It, well, it makes sense. The if you're if you're a warrior culture, then it it's about you know being a warrior, being able to fight, and why not start that at a young age? It's not like they would they have to go to school necessarily and wait until they, they reach 16, 17 and they leave and they've got more free time. You know, they they can do it from, as soon as they can hold a, hold a sword or hold a weapon and as soon as you can start to teach them. So it makes sense that they would start because they're not held by the same kind of rules that we are today. If, if somebody attacked the village and you had a bunch of 10 year old kids, they could at least poke someone with the sharp end of a sword if they needed to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. it, it, it doesn't matter who's holding the sword i guess
2: no no but i what i what i like to say uh when i when i talk to people about this that are uh, not as familiar as you are with it but uh just the idea of um going go back into your mind when you were say uh, 12 or something uh, and then think about what you were doing at that time and then think about what these people were doing at the time they were fighting lions uh at the age of 12 or maybe puberty at most you know the images uh from the pre-christian times show us that they were fighting uh, bears and this is also what is written down in the in the sagas later so just imagine sending your 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 kid that is now uh probably a youtuber to uh from far off fucking forest, fighting bears.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad I grew up now. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting to
1: consider that, uh, that 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 might actually have been sort of a, a very standard uh, uh, ritual uh, and and way of 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 coming of age in uh, in, in many European cultures. Um, uh, I mean, we we have so much, you know, broad spectrum like mythology on this in in different ways. Obviously, the the, the story of Romulus and Ramos being raised by a wolf is also a part of this whole complex, right? We have uh, Greek stories about fighting uh, various uh, uh, demons and and animals and uh, lions, too, of course, and uh, yeah, it's it's a very standard uh, sort of tale. So it makes perfect sense that this this could have been the sort of the way that young boys were, were were raised.
2: And I think another very interesting uh, thing to this is that um, the, the the ritual aspect, uh, or maybe even the magical aspect, uh, in this whole uh, initiation is that um, uh, I'm sitting here with my long hair still, and there's actually a lot written about uh, the cutting off hair, which is still done to this day uh, when you join the army i know all about it by now (laughs) Um, uh, uh, i look forward to cutting off my hair (laughs) anyway um that uh the the kati tribe or the chatti i think it's it's uh, it's kati by the way from germany um and some other tribes as well they they would uh uh yeah take the the kids from their their mother from the tribe do the uh, start the whole initiation that we just talked about and then at some point they would kill themselves uh quite literally in the sense that they um they either cut off their hair in the ritual itself or they cut off the hair when they killed their first enemy but it all comes down to that they they killed their persona that that, that they were before they left the tribe uh, so that they could only be killed physically so they they did a ritualized uh, uh a death so that they would get into the mindset okay i can i can now i am now part of the 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 hair the the the, tri- the sorry the army and now i can only die uh die in battle and that was obviously very sacred to them and this obviously um is seen later when you're talking about the valkyrie and uh, the 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 Valhalla, or Val, uh and the whole, uh, yeah, chosen warriors by by Odin. Uh, yeah, you
1: even have a, sort of like an echo of this in in Harald Finehair of Norway, right? Uh, the legend says that he he w- wouldn't cut his hair
2: until he had, you know, conquered all of Norway. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I think that is very reminiscent of uh, of of what was done uh, before that, and i cannot phrase enough that how how different it may be but uh th- these written sources that that describe this initiation uh, process may or may not have been widely different from the centuries before that but generally we do know that uh some form of ritual which is close to what what uh, is described later is yeah taking the taking the boy apart uh from the tribe and then making him a uh, full-fledged uh, adult warrior. And adults, also, by the way, nowadays you can uh, enter your enter the army at 29 here, because I'm 29, I'm doing it right now. But uh, these war- these warrior uh, societies uh, considered people adult by what we call puberty, so say 15, 16. And obviously the chances that you died before your 30s were pretty fucking high. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's
0: true. So yeah. it seems as if we've kind of got two, two ends of the spectrum with, with the berserkers, whether it's one is they're frenzied kind of animals almost, the, the there's no control in them. And the other is that they're a, a very much specialized soldier who's been taught from a young age and they, they're going to be disciplined kind of the the elite of the elite um where, where do you go which one do you think they there if, if you're gonna go
2: okay um i would say that berserker is is maybe more of a concept um so people describe i'm going berserk uh and and You also, you have the modern phrase, at least over here, is is running amok, which is really the same thing anyway. But, uh, so in the sagas, and I'm not an expert on sagas, I know know shit about sagas, (laughs) but uh, uh, going berserk is is some kind of process that is uh, obviously comes from, uh, yeah, a a ritual that you do before uh, or maybe during battle. Um, But I think that, saying going berserk is something different than being a berserker so if you go berserk you you may enter a uh, a state where you say have a rush of adrenaline and you 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 disregard uh what you might have learned in fighting techniques or whatever and you you, are, you feel invincible much like say a woman sees her child being uh taken by some stranger man i'm going uh really off the off the chart here but and and feels this primal rage of being a mother and and wanting to, to, to be the living fuck out of this uh, this this man that took a child that is i think what is going berserk um but if you follow the sagas uh going berserk is is, is uh is, is something different uh and may or it's not different but may refer to um a ritual that is quite possibly, or quite uh, uh, realistically, not done by ingesting uh, hallucinogenic—what hallucin- a word—substance uh, substance, uh, that is uh, generally <laughs> believed, but is most likely not true. Um, but uh, here, here we go back to the to the image of of dancing dancing figures and uh, uh, yeah, ritualized magical. Uh, warfare so i'll have to say that with the uh ingesting um
1: uh uh, psilocybin psilocybin psilocybins and hallucinogens and um, uh, all that stuff that is uh, that's comes straight up from a uh danish scholar from the 1600s who was just like pulling shit out of his ass like that that's (laughs) <laughs> That's where all that stuff comes from when it comes to <laughs> Um, But aside from that, so uh, I'd say there's uh, there's a couple of things to say about the saga literature. That this ritual that you're talking about, this tradition, is sort of like an underlying undercurrent of what the saga literature is, is otherwise saying about Berserkr. I, I agree very much that this is where it all comes from. What it looks like is that most of the saga uh, writers, they are basically just seeing uh, these persekir as, um, as sort of like demonic warriors in league with the devil. That's that's how these Christian authors from the 13th century are basically seeing it. So, so that's also how they're, they're quite often representing them. You can sort of like see it in in sort of like a spectrum. There are some that seem to be very genuine in representation, and then then they get more and more cartoonish in their <laughs> representation.
0: If they were in fact elite level warriors, how much could that appear to be demonic to somebody looking in from the outside? If it's I, I guess if you if you had. It just put in broad terms of like MMA fighting. If you had somebody who was kind of trained and then you had an elite level top of the the UFC training, if you put those two together, like one would appear to almost, you know, almost be kind of godlike because it is on such a level above everybody else. And that's why I was kind of thinking back to in battle. If they if you had a warrior who was a lot better than other people and was killing more people than anybody else. From kind of the other side or looking in, whether he's the he's on your side or not, you're going to be thinking, fuck me, look at this guy. Like, has he got some sort of magical power around him? Why is he so much better? You don't want to go near him if you're against him. And if you're on his side, you're like, it almost, I guess, gives you a boost.
1: Also consider theatrics. This is something that has always been used by Warriors. Uh, theatrics to 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 basically build yourself up. In the minds of the, the this is psychological warfare. In the minds of your uh, your opponent, right? Mm-hmm. So if you if you if you stand there on the battlefield before uh, uh, you go into battle and you're uh, doing this, uh, uh, you know, ritual. Um, of course, we know the haka uh, from, um, from the Maori as as, a, as an example of this, and and. There are plenty of other cultures that have uh, similar uh, styles of rituals uh, for warfare. And, you know, even I I think it was in the Iraq war, the uh, American troops played heavy metal to 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 freak out, people. you know those kinds of things happen all over, and 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 this is part of of warfare as well. If you can freak your enemy out, then um, you have a better chance at winning. And I
0: think I think a very good example of that would be somebody like Conor McGregor, who 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 win. You know, I I, I relate to things I know, and I know quite a bit about like the UFC and and, and fighting. So, when you you know, when you get somebody like him who, who won most of his early fights from getting in people's heads, and it was mental warfare before they even stepped into the fight, in most cases, he'd already won because he was inside somebody's head and he was already appearing larger than life. And it, it was intimidating to people. And I guess that's no different than being on a battlefield. If you had someone who was in that way, who struck you with that kind of, I've already lost before I've even started then you're already in a bad position.
2: I can make a really nice bridge here, because obviously this is what we play with uh, in Heilung. So the yeah the thing that I am part of with, with these eight other people, the little war band, and the, the, the few songs that we are mm. on, we play with the idea of intimidating. So we have the song Hakkaskaldir, <laughs> for example. And uh, Matthias knows literally what the word means, <laughs> probably being a Dane. Anyway, uh, yeah, we try to 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 have the audience chant along, obviously, but it is intentioned as being a sort, some sort of a haka, which is not necessarily where the word uh, refers to, by the way. But no, I, uh, I've 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 been puzzled by that since ever since I saw it <laughs> the first time. <laughs> <laughs> ask ask them later, but uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> the idea of, 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 of chanting as a as a as a war group, especially when you you know you know the whole yada yada with the spears that we do and blah blah blah, uh, it does put you in this state of mind uh, of uh, uh, of of getting into battle, and when we when we do that on stage and we have these thousands, some sometimes maybe fifteen thousand people in front of us, and only a little portion of that. Tags along and shouts along with the song. That makes you feel really, really powerful. Obviously, and um,
0: well, there is such thing as a a fl- you know of a flow state where you just get into that that mindset where almost anything you do it, it, it it's it's a weird position to be in. And anybody that's kind of experienced it, it's like it's like you can see things before they happen, or
2: exactly, yeah, yeah,
0: and or you, you just have this other. It's almost otherworldly, kind of sense to it and you know if you can get into that state before you go to battle it's oh i guess it can only help
2: but but there is there's really two things to there and there's something that i want to add as well so if this what we are talking about right now this feeling if, if this is maybe what they call berserker ganger uh then it has two sides one is that you feel invincible and this might be to your advantage the other side and i this from personal experience being in martial arts uh is when you feel like this you might feel overpowered uh and you may actually not be so it might work as a it might work against you i want to say because you 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 want to disregard everything and just go all out and yeah when you are say conor McGregor level uh if you're talking about UFC and you're that good then you might turn it to your advantage indeed but I would say that Berserker Ganger uh if you take it literally, as 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 described, and as this feeling that we're talking about, it might not always be to the advantage of your army or your friends, or, or or to yourself. And uh, but we, what you talked about before, uh, Daniel, I wanted to uh, to interrupt, but I didn't. Uh, this <laughs> idea of becoming uh, becoming in this this state had obviously all to do with um, uh, with the the idea of becoming a bear or a wolf what uh, uh the Ulf or the Berserkir, uh and we we haven't really touched that yet but the idea of becoming the animal that is uh that you identify with as as, as a strong animal that you uh, uh uh yeah look up to i can't find the right words right now but obviously the the wolf and the bear had a very significant place in uh, in mythology and uh uh, yeah, I would say day-to-day culture, even because we're seeing it on the helmets. Uh, we're seeing it on the on the images. We are seeing it in the sagas. Um, but the becoming of the wolf or the becoming of the bear uh, through dancing or uh, whatever is obviously what the whole initiation and uh, uh, and the ritual is is all about. And we should not forget that these animals were uh, yeah totemized. And uh, and we're very much part of 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 warfare and fighting uh, in in pre-Christian culture. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: And the fucking terrifying animals. So if you were gonna, if you're gonna want to take any of the spirits of an animal into into battle, I guess they're the ones <laughs> you would yeah, want. you yeah. no good like taking a rabbit or something.
2: Yeah, and also the idea. If you if you look at the at the at the images that uh, and and the killing of of a bear as a young as a young boy, if in, with that in the back of your mind that you killed a bear at a young age and you go into battle at a later, later age, you you might feel fucking invincible. Uh, I, I mm-hmm. bet.
0: I've, for I, for I, sure.
1: Lived, living in bear country, I'm not entirely sure. I think they're that terrifying, to be honest. But these are, of course, black bears. They're they're smaller and everything. But you know, I've I've I have just on occasion yelled at them. So, Fuck off, and then they do. <laughs> How did you feel? Very powerful. <laughs>
0: yeah, I bet you did. I just, <laughs> all I can imagine is you walking around the woods now telling bears to fuck off.
1: <laughs> it, it, it actually happens from time to time. <laughs> well, actually, no. So, so the, the one that I told to fuck off, that was on my porch. Uh, oh, so. okay.
0: <laughs> it was deserved, was it?
1: Yeah. It was, he was going for my trip. He was
0: bullying poor bears in the woods.
1: But that's that's how it is. Like uh, it's some you know, a couple of times. I mean, uh, Boulder da- down the hill uh, or the mountains, uh, or d- downhill. That's what we call it. Um, is a community of what a hundred thousand people. And you know, sometimes you like in the evening, you look down an alley and you see a bear running past. Down <laughs> <laughs> so, so they're they're a little more just like giant rats <laughs>
0: around here. So before before we wrap up, I've got a couple of last things I want to I want to ask. I made a little, I made a list. <laughs> uh, so one would be like the Lewis Chessman piece that I guess a lot of people have seen of the of the yeah. man biting his shield, and I guess a lot of people would say that's a berserker. Do you do you think it is, or do you think it's just a warrior who happens to be biting his uh, shield? Well,
2: I, I can say a few things about this. Uh, I was actually my one of my recent. Uh, uh, ben Mason joined recently is from Lewis Island he lives there and we talked about his chess piece because there was uh, a new find actually last year I think or two years ago uh, a piece added to the yeah to the board so I think we spoke uh, by
0: somebody found it in there in the drawer in the living room I think
2: yeah or an antique store something like that but yeah. uh, but indeed it's quite uh, wow it's quite something but uh indeed we see a warrior biting on the shield and this is uh something that has been uh described more than once i think um uh and uh, yeah yeah so this biting on the shield is indeed linked to uh to the uh berserk here uh however um i th- there's one saga i'm not sure which one which describes um uh uh a warrior on a horseback, biting his shield. Uh, yeah, so it is linked to, to the Berserk here. Is it done uh, in, in this ritual that we talked about? I'm not sure, maybe. Uh, but yeah. Can I just um, uh, interject
1: something here? So this this thing about biting the shield, right? So the Lewis
2: chessmen, they're from what? The 11th century, 12th century? uh yeah the eleventh century i think around uh yeah hastings time okay yeah yeah, yeah so the saga um saga uh, uh, texts
1: that talk about um, um uh, biting the shields they're younger than than the chessmen um obviously that doesn't necessarily mean that that the concept of biting a shield uh is is uh, um it isn't sort of like shared across this uh, this source material, but um, it's really it's it's an important little thing about um, um, uh, the the idea of Bersagir in the Sari literature that they're biting the shields. And let's see, I think I found it right here. Um, Yes, so blah, blah, blah. This is chapter six of *Inglinga Saga, the beginning of uh, the collection of Norwegian King Sagas known as Heimskringla. Um, We are learning about Odin's skills. And it says, uh, let's just see. It is said with truth that when Ausa uh, Odin, came to the Northlands, that would be Scandinavia, and the doctor that's the Aesir, um, or their, their high priests. This is kind of a weird representation of Nordic mythology, but uh, bear with me. Uh, with them, they introduced and taught the skills practiced by men for a long time afterwards. Odin was the most prominent among them all. And from him, they learned all the skills because he was the first to know them. Now, as to why he was honored so greatly, the reasons for that are these. He was so handsome and noble to look at when he sat among his friends that it gladdened the hearts of all. So this is a very nice looking Odin. But when he was engaged in warfare, he showed his enemies a grim aspect. There we go. The reasons for this was, uh, were that uh, he knew the arts by which he could uh, shift appearance and body uh, uh, any way he wished. For another matter, he spoke so well and so smoothly that all who heard him believed all he said was true. All he spoke was in, in rhymes as uh, is now the case in what is called scaldship, so scalded poetry. He and his temple priests are called songsmiths because that art began with them in the northern lands. Odin was able to cause his enemies to be blind or deaf or fearful in battle, and he could cause their uh, swords to cut no better than wands. His own men went to battle without coats of mail and acted like mad dogs or wolves. They bit their shields, there we go, and were as strong as bears or bulls. They killed people and neither fire nor iron affected them. This is called berserker rage. So that's the source, that's the primary source. And the important thing about this one is that it represents Odin as some kind of evil sorcerer from, from Turkey. Or Iran, or somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really important detail here, because because what it's basically saying is that he has the power to imbue uh, imbue his uh, his warriors with some kind of like demonic rage, right? That they uh, that they can take out uh, on their enemies, and they won't feel pain and all that stuff. And yeah, in that context, they're also biting their shields as sort of like. A trope that says that that demonstrates the the madness.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it does make make the whole concept of of biting your shield very tangible. Of course, especially when you look, when you when you see it in 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 the material culture as a, yeah, the 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 Lewis chess piece, of course. So what I think is that what is described in the sources, yeah, you shouldn't take it with a grain of salt. But there's definitely uh, some part that you can kind of disregard i guess and then there's the underlying layer of things that probably actually happened so the mm-hmm. whole they're whole ritual dancing and the the, the mindset of becoming becoming the animal that you represent being a uh, a bear or a wolf uh, and uh, and there's probably something to say for their way of, of, of fighting and uh, and how they how they behaved in battle uh, but there's just a whole lot that we don't know, I guess. Well, <laughs>
1: I mean, so so what this really suggests to me, like both the depiction and and also the the literature talking about biting your shield, is that it could probably be something like a saying, you know, when somebody was was getting pissed off and and like getting really mad or something like that, you can say, oh, he's really biting his shield over there or something like that.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Right, let's let's wrap this up. It's been fun. Yeah. It's been a good yeah. one. Um, we had one question just from the, the new Discord sh- Discord channel, um, and that was, how many names are there for Odin? I know there's a lot. It, is there a definitive number?
2: Or... Uh, yeah, I think some 270 or something. Uh, okay, a lot. But Matthias probably knows. Uh... He's he's looking around
0: <laughs> like he's yeah, trying no, to find like... exactly.
2: Well, so the, the bulk of the names are
1: are enumerated in um, in Grimnismau.
0: yeah, yeah. Grim
1: is, uh, mm-hmm. poem or Grimnismal. I don't think we get beyond forty there, though, um, and. Uh, <laughs> Someone's asking are any of them, Joe. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sorry. He's he he doesn't go by Joe in 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 any instances that I've encountered, at least.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, and one last thing, I have to we have to give a shout out to the possibly the greatest troll of the, year, um, which is Ed Gamster in oh yeah in the um, he's going to put. Mike's just pulled it up here. Mateus, I don't know if oh, you want to read one. it, but this is the greatest trolling that I have ever seen. Oh, in, yeah, I, I read that in all my years of being on, on the internet. And so, everybody who's listened to the episode will know Ed Games to buy now from the our Half a Mile episode. And Legendary. He, he obviously got fed up with a certain type of people or certain type of person in uh, the traditional Nordic tattoo group. Um, so, he made a a quite tongue-in-cheek post that triggered a lot of a lot of Viking bros. I think. Oh yeah, Matthias, do you want to read it?
1: Sure, sure, I can read it. So, <laughs> so he wrote uh, wrote. As most of you know, I recently found out my ancestral DNA is zero point one six percent Native American, and therefore Viking. <laughs> Because everybody (laughs) knows Vikings discovered America. It has changed (laughs) my life. I've been putting horns on my hat since I was a kid. I'm a Norseman by blood. To celebrate my newfound culture, I want to get uh, nine tattoos. One of each of the Viking gods. Odin, Thor, Fridge, etc. I can't name them all yet. I also want to uh, get uh, Uh, 0.16% written in rune numbers to represent my ancestors. (laughs) (laughs) I found an artist, but he's really bad at drawing. So if somebody could sketch the design (laughs) up for me, uh, that would be great. I've been reading the ancient literature and so far my favorite character is Legaless. So if you could tie him into the design, that would be perfect. (laughs) <laughs> uh, what is it our people say skull <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It, it's such a great post because it hits the mark on so many people that are in that group
1: I saw a lot of uh, uh, butthurt comments uh,
0: <laughs> there was a lot, lot of people there were a lot of people calling him an idiot and taking him quite seriously which I found even more hilarious I can't wait to have him back on for the the second episode
1: Oh yeah. I have to admit that I actually um, I I, I I really enjoyed that uh, comment, and uh, and also, you know, uh, the the ensuing comment apocalypse.
0: They've had like a thousand comments on it now. Yeah, it, it, it seems to be one way or the other. People either take it literally and get upset about it, or people just find it absolutely hilarious.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Ruben, do you want to give a shout out to your social media, where people can find you? Obviously, you do some awesome photography on there.
2: Yeah, we didn't talk about that, and actually, I really enjoyed talking about the whole phenomena of Edna and berserki instead, but uh, yeah, my Instagram uh, is Voudans, uh, Dutch for of Odins, but uh, it's written uh, W-O-E-D-A-N-S uh, on Instagram, and I Post uh, a lot of photography on there, and uh, yeah, just general shit.
0: <laughs> Matthias, what about you?
1: You can always find me on Instagram as well by my name, Matthias Nordvik. I yeah, shit, post a lot there too. So there you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Brilliant. So yeah, you can follow obviously our Instagram, Nordic Mythology Podcast on Instagram, same on Facebook. Uh, we recently just restructured the Patreon, added a few extra rewards, kind of moved about the tiers um, so people get more for more bang for the buck. Um, we also added a Discord channel, so this basically just a, a modern day chat room where you can join and kind of we're making like a little community in there. Um, Obviously, you have our website, Nordic Mythology Podcast.com. We've got a bunch of t shirts on there. We've got the Raven from the North Odin, like Raven Odin design. You can follow me, Daniel and Score, <laughs> Daniel Scorefire Fire One on Instagram, obviously, and Horns of Odin as well. So, yeah, I think that's everything.
2: Can I say one more thing, by the way? Of course. Uh, about uh, the whole subject for the people who are really interested or want to know more about this whole phenomena of berserker and ufednar uh, a lot of this is written down by Dr Roderick Dale and his thesis is online it is quite a, quite a long read but i mean it's speaks so much to the imagination that i can uh, i can see a lot of people wanting to to read more and what we just did we kind of skipped the surface a bit and I haven't said everything that I wanted to say, but obviously we only have a limited amount of time. And by the way, uh, Roderick Dale is going to join us in the
1: future on this podcast.
2: So. Oh, yeah, look. That's amazing. Uh,
1: yeah, he's uh, he's an awesome guy. Right, <laughs> Say hi. Like a shield.
0: Will do. <laughs> awesome. That, that's the show. Thank you very much. Yeah,
2: Thank you. <laughs>